0: Good morning. Certainly good to see everyone here this morning. As you can see on the screen, uh, the title of this morning's lesson is The Lamb Slain from the Foundation of the World. Have you ever put a lot of thought and, and, and planning into a gift or into a present or something like that that you planned to give to somebody? You know, we just got past the Christmas season, and, and, and I love that time of year. Uh, I love giving gifts, uh, especially now that I've got older and I've got kids and, and, and all those sorts of things. But I've always loved to, to give gifts. And Angela can tell you that, that I, I like to give her presents, and, and, and I'm so excited about it. I often can't like, contain it, and I try to give them to her early because I'm excited about giving her presents. And all those sorts of things. I like to give gifts, and and I think that I I put a lot of thought and and a lot of effort into picking gifts and and things like that for uh, my wife and and kids and things like that. But have you ever spent hours and hours thinking about what you wanted to give your wife or husband or or your kids? And then you spent hours and hours thinking about the perfect way that you were going to present that gift or surprise uh, your loved one with that gift. And you want to make sure that the timing is just right. And and then when the plan works out and it's all worth it because the other person is so thankful and they're so grateful and you see the smile on their face and you you know how much they love the gift that they've been given. It makes it worth all that time and effort and planning. And you have just given them a gift that, that you know that they will cherish and that they won't forget. Not just because of the gift itself, but because of the time and the effort and the the planning that you put into it. It makes me think about 15 years ago, and that makes me feel old to say that this was 15 years ago. Look at those two kids uh, on the screen. They look young, don't they? It makes me think of 15 years ago when I proposed to my sweet wife, Angela. I had decided that I was going to propose to her, and, and so I spent months figuring out just exactly what type of, uh, of ring I wanted to give her, what, the, what diamond to give her, and, and, and trying to, to snoop around and, and, and get her to tell me what she wanted without trying to tip it off too much. And, and I looked, and I looked, and I looked for the right place to, to buy the ring. And, and then once I bought the ring, I put a lot of thought into trying to figure out what, uh, what we were going to do or how I was going to propose and all those sorts of things. I didn't want to do anything. Uh, too extravagant, uh, that isn't really what uh, I thought Angela would want, but I, I didn't want to be obvious, so I ended up figuring out how I wanted to, to do that. And I ended up surprising her and, and and seeing the look on her face when, despite uh, what all of you thought, and despite what you thought was going to happen, she said yes, uh, and, and uh, my sweet wife accepted that ring, and I'll never forget that. But I'll never, look, I'll never forget the look of surprise and gratitude and love that she had. We love it when someone puts time and effort and thought into a gift. Uh, it makes us feel important. It makes us feel loved. What if I told you that someone spent more than just a few days or a few weeks or a few months to plan out and execute the perfect gift for you? They even spent more than a decade or centuries. They spent more than a millennia pulling off the exact gift that you needed. In fact, they were planning to give you just what you needed before the foundation of the world. And that is what God has done with the gift of his son. John describes Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Even before the earth was created, God was setting in motion the events that would take place that would eventually provide you with the opportunity to be saved from your sins. And all throughout history, God through his providence was working and shaping the events of this world and the lives of men to bring about the opportunity to save you from your sins. The hand of God from the foundation of the world was guiding and leading. His providence was at work to redeem his people. About 50 days after Jesus was crucified, Peter and the rest of the apostles stand on these steps just outside the temple in Jerusalem. There were thousands and thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem. And the crowd sees these Galilean men speaking to the crowd. And and these weren't educated men. These Galileans weren't scholars. So how are they speaking to all these different people in all these different languages? The Holy Spirit had descended upon these men. and, And Peter begins to preach a sermon exactly what... I've been talking about this morning, about how God had been at work, how his providence and his plan had been working to bring about this opportunity for salvation. If you would, grab a Bible, and we're going to read a passage from this sermon in Acts, the second chapter, for our text this morning. Acts, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 14 through 36. Acts, the second chapter, starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmen I will pour out in those days of my Spirit... And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter tells the crowd gathered there in Jerusalem that this is the day that they had been waiting for. This was the day that they had been looking for all those years. This Jesus... He is the Messiah. He is the one that they had heard about and learned about. And all throughout this sermon at Pentecost, we can see Peter weaving this idea of God's plan in his providence. Over and over again, he talks about how this is the culmination of God's providential plan for the salvation of his people. So this morning, I want for us to look at several things from Peter's sermon at Pentecost and learn about how From the foundation of the world, God had been working to save his people from their sins. The first thing that I want for us to notice is that God's plan to save his people from their sins was, in fact, providence. Acts, the second chapter, verse 23, that we read a moment ago you can look back at, the, at that verse, and it says, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter says that Jesus was delivered, not because of some sort of accident. And it wasn't some sort of coincidence. It wasn't just the result of good timing. It, it wasn't as if God looked down and he said, you know what, that guy, that, that Galilean carpenter Jesus, he's a pretty good guy. He might, he might be the one that we, we can use uh, to carry out this plan. This might be the right time to do that. Peter says that he was delivered according to the de- the definite foreknowledge of God. The word providence is defined as divine guidance or care. It's derived from the Latin word providere, which is comprised of two words, pro, which means before, and videre, which means to see, so that means to see before. It is... Uh, Translated into Greek, the word pronoia, which means forethought. In God's providence to save his people from the very foundation and creation of the world, he carefully planned and orchestrated this. Peter, after the sermon at Pentecost, would actually elaborate further on this when he would say in 1 Peter, the first chapter starting in the 18th verse, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Just sit back and and think for a moment about all that God did and the providence that went into his plan. And we could talk about uh, the timing of when the Son of God appeared on the scene, how he appeared uh, during the perfect time in history, during the Roman Empire. We could talk even about earlier things and events surrounding the children of Israel and their exodus uh, from Egypt. We can remember the story of Joseph and, and how God's providence was at work, uh, to not just say Joseph and his family, but how those events actually led to the children of Israel uh, uh, being in Egypt. And all throughout human history, we can see how God's plan and uh, in his influence, it led to Jesus in the life of our Savior. But we can go even before that all the way to creation, and see God's providence at work and how it would play a part in His redemptive plan for His people. When God created the heavenly bodies on the fourth day of creation, they were created for signs and for seasons and for days and years. He created these things for signs. It said He knew that one of the signs of the Son of God, the appearing of the Savior on the scene would be a star, born of a virgin in a town called Bethlehem. When God made the trees and all the plants on the third day of creation, he knew that a tree would one day be used for the most evil event in history. When evil men would crucify the Son of God, and yet by God's foreknowledge, this event would be used For the salvation of our souls. When God cursed the ground and caused thorns and thistles to grow because of sin. Contemplate the fact that God knew that one day thorns would be used to pierce the brow of his son. As he hung on the tree paying the penalty for my sin. (laughs) From the foundation of the world, God was at work putting things in place, setting things in motion to save His people from their sins. That should make you fall on your knees and worship your Creator. You should praise Him and continually thank Him that He loves you so much. God's providence, the hand of God from the foundation of the world, was carefully planning and orchestrating the events that would lead to your opportunity for salvation. And that leads us to the second thing that I want for us to notice. And that is that all throughout the scriptures, the plan to save man from their sins was prophesied and laid out. It was predicted exactly what would happen. Multiple times during Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he mentions several prophecies about these events and about Jesus. And you can see there in verse 16 and verse 25, when he says that something was uttered through the prophet of Joel, or, or for David said concerning him, and all these things that he, he refers back to these prophecies about, um, about the Messiah and the things that would happen during that time. The events that led to the appearance of the Messiah they were prophesied hundreds and hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of years before Jesus would appear. If you go back through the Old Testament, you'll find more than 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. And we talked about this not too long ago, but these prophecies included things about like what the Messiah would come to do and his mission and where he would be born and, and events in his life and things that would happen and, and, and many other things, even how he would die was described in, in amazing detail. And there's lots of reasons why these prophecies were given, but it, but I, I think that one of the main reasons were that you, if you saw these events happening and you saw these things happening in someone's life, they were given to God's people so that they could look at someone and, ident- and be able to identify the Messiah. They were given so that when you saw all of these things in one person, you would know without any doubt that that person was the Messiah that God's providential plan was being fulfilled. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God said that the offspring of a woman would would bruise or crush the head of a serpent, we see the first prophecy concerning the Messiah. Abraham was promised that his offspring would would bless the entire world. Throughout all the prophecies that we see in the major and the minor prophets, over and over again, the Messiah, who the Messiah was and what he was going to do was predicted and laid out. How do you suppose the world would have reacted if God would have just given a few prophecies? Maybe he said two or three or four things about what the Messiah was going to do or what He would uh, things about him or who he was going to be. If it was just a few, then the world might have a bunch of people say, you know what, I'm the Messiah. They could do a couple of things and, and, and claim that they were the, the promised Messiah. But through God's wisdom and through his inspiration of the Holy Spirit... The writers of the Old Testament recorded over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled every single one of them. He perfectly performed everything that the prophets said that the Messiah would do. God's providence, his plan was perfectly carried out, just like he said. Just as Peter described. And that from the foundation of the world, God had been telling his people how much he loves them and what he was willing to do to save them from their sins. The third thing that I want for us to look at and be reminded of from Peter's sermon is that God can use events that seem horrible to carry out his will. Look back at the 36th verse of Acts, the second chapter, when it says, Let all the house of Israel... Therefore know for certain that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Peter concludes his sermon by telling the crowd that was gathered, some of whom had taken a direct role in the plot to capture and kill Jesus. He tells them that this guy, this Jesus, he was the one that the prophets had been talking about. He was the one that God had chosen. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God, and you took him, and you killed him. You murdered him. But was this something that wasn't part of God's plan? Of course not. We have already talked about how Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We've talked about prophecy. Even the death of the Messiah was prophesied about God, in His infinite wisdom and in His providence, was able to use even the sinful acts and hard hearts of these people to help carry out His will to save you from your sins. Remember the life of Joseph. God can use events that seem unbearable to carry out His purpose. Just think about Joseph's brothers. They, they threw Joseph in a well. They sold him into slavery. He did horrible, sinful things. And God, while he didn't cause those people to sin, he used them and he used their actions to carry out his will. Poison does not cease to be deadly just because it's part of a medicine that heals. Poison is still poison. And sin is still sin. And those people that committed those sins will be held responsible. But God may choose to use that sin for the unfolding of his plan. God chose to use Pharaoh in his hard heart in the story of the children of Israel. God chose to use Judas and his greed to help carry out the plot to capture Jesus. And he chose to use the pride and hatred in the hearts of the Jewish leaders to send Jesus to the cross. And Peter reminds them that God made this same Jesus who they crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the last thing that I want for us to notice as we close out this sermon this morning is what our response to God's providence should be. Peter preaches this sermon at Pentecost. He talks about how Jesus was delivered according to the foreknowledge and the plan of God. He teaches the crowd about how these events were prophesied. He even talks about how God used the the struggles and the trials and and even the events that seemed unbearable to carry out his will. And then notice how the crowd in Jerusalem responded. Turn back there to Acts, the second chapter, starting in the 37th verse. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The crowd hears this message about the hand of God, the providence of God and his plan for salvation being carried out through this man, Jesus. And they are cut to the heart. They realize their sin. They realize that they need God. Their reaction, their response to this was to submit to the will of God. But what about us? As we've gone through this discussion this morning, what is your response Remember what Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians, the first chapter, starting in verse 3. It says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And you might read that and say, well, Jeff, that's all fine and good, but, but when I read that, it, it, doesn't God know everything? And if he knows everything and he's omniscient, doesn't he know what decision I'm going to make before I make it? And, and it just talks about predestination. If he knows this decision I'm going to make, does it really mean that I have a choice? And we read uh, that, what we just said, God chose us before the foundation of the world and, and how he predestined uh, us for the adoption in his body. And to that question, I would say that we're thinking about foreknowledge or predestination of God uh, wrong. Of course, Paul was right about predestination. He is right about the predestination of those who believe in Jesus Christ and obey his word. They are predestined to be adopted into the body of Christ. God's children are predestined to be added to the body of Christ and be forgiven of their sins. That was God's plan. That was God's providence all along, but he still gives us a choice if we are going to be one of those people that are included in that number. He gives us a choice to accept or reject our destiny as his adopted sons and daughters. The plan Even before the foundation of the world was that Jesus would die for the sins of mankind. And his body is predestined for this adoption. But again, he gives us a choice if we're going to be among those that accept this adoption. He gives us the opportunity of salvation. He has given us the opportunity at this gift. But we must respond to that offer. 2 Peter, the 3rd chapter and the ninth verse says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he's patiently waiting and hoping that all men will repent. If we were predetermined to repent or not, and we didn't have any choice in that matter, then this verse would have no meaning. Or it means that God doesn't know what he's doing and he's waiting for something that's already determined. Peter at Pentecost teaches the crowd about God's providential plan to save men from their sins. He tells them about the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But they still had the responsibility to take the steps to take possession of that gift. Just like Angela could have told me no. She could have rejected my proposal when I asked her to marry me. We could decide. Our response to the offer of salvation could be to say no, to turn our back on God. God from the foundation of the world was working and moving to save you from your sins. And what will your response be? The people at Pentecost heard this sermon. They believed and confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They repented of their sins and they were baptized for the remission of their sins. But what will you do? C.S. Lewis once said, he died not for men but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. God, from the foundation of the world, has been working and moving to save not only mankind from their sins, but God, in his foreknowledge and in his plan and in his providence and in his love, has been moving and influencing and shaping this world and the events of this world to save Tim Hutchison from his sins. He has been working and moving and shaping the events of mankind to save Norman Coker from his sins. And he, through his infinite wisdom, has shaped the events of history to save a wretched sinner like Jeff McFadden from my sins. He has put more time and effort and sacrifice into this gift than any other gift that you will ever receive. He loves you that much. But how will you respond today? Will you respond like those people at Pentecost and allow your faith to move you to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and submit to him in baptism? Perhaps you've never done that and would like to do that today. We'd love to see that happen. Perhaps you've been living a life that doesn't align with God's word and you'd like the prayers of the church to give you strength and to help you as you make your way through this life. Perhaps there's something else that's on your heart and you'd like the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to do that with you and for you also this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, please come as we stand and as we sing.